Middle schoolers, you are excused as they will be going up to the youth room and having their class. The rest of us, we're going to continue in this powerful study of Ephesians. I hope you have enjoyed it, particularly in the section that we're in. Very practical for us as we have been in that section dealing with relationships and will continue to do so today. So we're going to be in the last chapter of Ephesians, chapter 6. We're actually going to start at verse 4 and go through verse 9. Uh, we went through the first four verses last week, but we're going to back up, start at verse 4, and then we're going to look at the relationships uh, between employees and bosses today. Very important subject. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and John will slip you a Bible, and we'll continue in this wonderful epistle of Ephesians. Then we'll take about two weeks to go through the last part of the epistle, and that is dealing with the whole armor of God, because we are in a spiritual war every single day, we as Christians. And I think that it's going to be a tremendous blessing as we go through that section of putting on the whole armor of God. And then after that, we'll go to the next prison epistle, which is Philippians, and do a study in the book of Philippians, which the theme of Philippians is what? Is joy. So it's really going to help us in learning how it is that we can have joy in our lives. And remember this, that joy is always something that's much richer and deeper than happiness. Um, Joy is something that we can have even when times are difficult and uh, we're going through loss and sorrow. So that's where we're headed over the next few weeks. And uh, also, just a couple quick notes. You guys are at 11 o'clock service, so I can talk and talk till, what, 2 o'clock or whatever. But no, I won't do that. But I'm not so pressed for time. But uh, as you know, a lot of you know that on Tuesday, I host Calvary Live, and I'll be back hosting it uh, this Tuesday once again. But I'm also going to do Wednesday as well. And the next, next month, actually, particularly as we get to the end of the month, I'm going to be hosting uh, quite a few of the Calvary Lives during the week. And uh, so I encourage you, uh, first of all, be praying for me. As a lot of you know, that, that Grace FM... Uh, which we have the privilege of being our radio program under the fig tree on at 3.30 during the week, but uh, also being a part of Calvary Live. My desire is just to honor the Lord and be able to minister to people the truth of God's Word, but it covers uh, 80% of the, the population in Colorado, all the way from Pueblo up to actually Laramie and, and Cheyenne, Wyoming, and even north of Cheyenne, so about 25% of the population in Wyoming. So it's a powerful and great opportunity to minister the truth of God's word um, to um, those in Colorado and Wyoming, but also just to be able to to encourage people. Uh, So be a part of the show. Call in. It's a live call-in show where you can ask questions about the Bible or about Christian living or have a prayer request. And uh, I always like it when you guys call from this area and hear from you guys as well. So just wanted to point that out. And then also on Grace FM, what you've been hearing, some advertisements, and we're going to be mentioning it on the radio as well, is Calvary Aurora is going to have a conference on October 16th and 17th. That is Friday night into Saturday. And it's a conference not just for Calvary Aurora. It's a conference for all those involved in ministry. So there are going to be those who are going to be coming from all over Colorado to this conference. And it's just a conference to encourage anyone who's involved in ministry, whether you usher or work in a nursery or on staff. And so we're going to have that specific information. But 
you can, um, we want to extend that invitation here to us. And it's on 16th and 17th, Friday night and Saturday uh, during the day. And um, I'm going to be there. We're going to open it up with uh, Calvary Live. Uh, I'll be with Pastor Ed and Pastor Eric doing it in the studio there. When I do it here, I do it upstairs in my office, and uh, which is wonderful technology. I don't have to drive down there. But also, I'm going to be teaching a session on Saturday on the family in the ministry. So um, we're going to have that information. Pray about going. Or if you're just looking at getting involved in ministry, even if you're involved in ministry outside these four walls, this is a conference for you to be refreshed. That's why they call it uh, Refresh Conference. So looking forward to that. We'll have more specific information. You can look at calvaryward.org and find all the information on that. We'll put it on a link on our website as well. And Father, we do want to be refreshed right now today. And as I was, as I was just singing those words as we were singing together, come thy fount, come thy Lord. I think, Lord, I can't wait till the Prince of Peace comes. Can't wait till you come for us, your bride, and, and we get to go home and have the marriage feast of the Lamb. And what a wonderful future that we have. But in the meantime, it can be difficult. And it can be challenging here in this life. And there is spiritual warfare, but Lord, just the circumstances that we face, and particularly in relationships. So, Lord, I pray that as we talk about an important subject, that is the relationship between employees and employers, and, and um, Lord, that we would be encouraged, we would be teachable. Right now, that you would just uh, minister to our hearts and give us instructions. And so, Lord, we give you this time, and it's in God's and Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So to remind you again that in this section of Ephesians, chapters 5 through uh, chapter 6 through verse 9, actually starting in verse 22 of chapter 5, we've been reading the instructions on, you know, how we can have harmony and blessing in these areas of, of our lives that are a priority when it comes to relationships. And of course, if you've been with us in our study on Sunday morning in chapter 5, in verses 22 through 33, how to have harmony in the marriage relationship. So we talked quite extensively over a couple weeks, you know, the roles and responsibilities in wives and husbands according to God's word. And we know that our marriage relationship is to be an illustration of our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, his relationship to you and I as believers, we are the bride of Christ. And as we look at Christ, how he loved us unconditionally, supremely, that he gave his life for us as he went to the cross, as he provided forgiveness of sin. And he was one that not only gave his life for us, but Jesus would also say that I came not to be served, but be the servant of all. He had compassion on the crowds. He he showed mercy to them. He, he was one that gave himself to them. And so husbands, to remind you and I once again, that's how we are to love our wives. We're instructed that we are to love our wives as Christ loves the church. That means that we are to love her unconditionally, supremely, divinely. We are to, to be ones that are giving ourselves to our wives, willing to lay down our lives for her and serve her and cherish her and nurture her. That's what we are to do. 
And so husbands, we don't want to neglect that responsibility that God has given to you and to me and live with her in an understanding way. And then last week we discussed how to have harmony in the home between children and parents and and children. Those under the roof of your parents are to be obedient and to honor them. And I want to remind us that that kids and, and young people that are here, that it is a powerful testimony of the reality of Christ in your life And that powerful testimony is when you are obedient and you honor mom and dad. And parents, fathers, as we read, and that's why I want to pick it up at verse 4. Fathers, we were uh, directly and specifically mentioned in verse 4 that fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And so, again, to remind you that moms, you do have a place in raising your children in the ways of the Lord. Of course you do. You have an important role in that, and we can look at other verses in the Bible that talks about the mother raising her children in the ways of the Lord, teaching her children in the things of the Lord. But I think that Paul is specifically addressing the fathers here because he does not want us dads to neglect that responsibility that has been divinely ordained for you and for me and commissioned for us to do. It is of priority and of importance to the Lord that you and I take on that responsibility with his help, of course. We're not to neglect it. We're not to say, well, I'm too busy. Be distracted by other things. But the priority dads and grandparents as well is to raise your children in the ways of the Lord and grandparents as much as you can to your grandchildren. And as we take on that responsibility and make it a priority, we are told, first of all, number one, to instruct and encourage your children is what we are to do as parents. Remember that the home needs to be the place where our children learn about the Lord and the word of the Lord. So important, especially in the dark days in which we are living in. Our kids are going out into the world, you know this, and they are being told that there is no God, there is no creator, There's no loving God, that there is no Savior who came and died for you, for your sins, who desires to make you a new creation in Christ and forgive you and has a wonderful purpose and plan for your life. Uh, They're not going to tell them that. So that needs to be told and come from us, from us parents directly and tell them that there is a loving God. And he created them and loves them and wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, just as the apostle prayed in chapter 3 of this epistle. That Jesus loves you so much that he went to the cross for you and loves you unconditionally. You see, parents, we can't just pass that on to the Sunday school teacher or to the youth leaders or the youth pastor. And you see, don't misunderstand me in that. Because I know that there are different circumstances here, that there are kids that are bringing their friends that their parents aren't Christians. Or there is a, a marriage relationship when only one parent is, is a believer. Or perhaps that uh, there are other you know, circumstances where grandchildren are coming with their grandparents. And as you bring your children here, and as they come, we are going to make it a priority to love them, to make sure that they are safe, and we're going to make it a priority that they are learning the things of God, that God does love them, and get them grounded in the Word of God. That is something that we take very seriously here at Calvary Chapel Greeley. We want to come alongside of you parents, grandparents, whoever that you may be. There are uncles and aunts that bring their nephews and nieces to church. 
so they can learn of the Lord. And we want to encourage you every step of the way. And we want it to be a benefit to them spiritually. But mom and dads that are here, it needs to start with you and it needs to come from you. The things of God and the word of God. The Lord said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in these words I command you today that it shall be in your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So not only rising or raising them up, that is, in the instruction of the Lord, but parents, you are to, second of all, you are to discipline your children, as we are told, because that whole idea when we're told to nurture our children that that word has the idea of not only teaching them and having them learn of the things of the Lord, but it has the idea of also with discipline, chastening, and that is necessary, and it is evident, isn't it? It is evident that we love our children. You see, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 tells us, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. We discipline out of love, not out of anger, not out of bitterness. And listen, if you don't discipline your children, you're not going to disciple your children. I'm going to say that again. If you're not willing to discipline your children, you're not really going to be discipling your children. And parents' discipline needs to be fair and consistent. And parents, you need to be in agreement with that discipline concerning your children. And I've had teenager after teenager over the years tell me this that it wasn't important for my parents to discipline me, so I never knew where the boundaries were. I never knew that I could go this far and that it would hurt me. Listen, God, He disciplines us, He chastens us, because as Hebrews declares, because of His love for us, and it shows that we are His children. You see, whenever the Lord sees us going down the wrong road, or living a, a sinful lifestyle, or having wrong attitudes, or participating in things that are going to hurt us. He wants to protect us. He wants us to have truth so we can do well in the things of God, and he will bring discipline. Now, there's a difference between chastening discipline and punishment and judgment, because people will come to me and say, I think God's punishing me. He's judging me. Listen, Jesus took the judgment on Calvary's cross for you. As your sins were placed upon him, he tasted of death because of you and me and our sin. But he will discipline us. He took the judgment, the punishment that you and I deserve on Calvary's cross. But because of his love for you and for me, he will chasten us. He will discipline us because of his love, because we belong to him, because he wants us to do well in life. So parents, we know that that's what we do with our children. We want to protect them. We want them to grow up learning responsibility and to do well in life. And discipline is going to be a part of that. We don't want them to be hurt. We don't want them to be spoiled. We don't want them to be irresponsible. And it's not easy, but it is necessary. And then thirdly, we must not provoke them to anger. We don't use our headship parents to tear a child down. We are to encourage them, not to ignore them. We are to build them up, not to just tear them down all the time. And they need to know that they are a priority in our lives. You see, what can easily happen is that our children can feel like that everything else is a priority. Business, 
work, hobbies, you know, friends, whatever it might be. And we need to make sure that they understand and show it in our lives that they are the priority. My wife is the priority, that my children are the priority. And I've always wanted my children to understand this, that being a pastor here at Calvary Chapel is of great importance to me. And I see it of, of a great you know, uh, privilege to be able to be the pastor here. And they understand that, that they appreciate that I work hard as, as I come here to pastor and prepare and counsel and all the things that take place. And they understand that, but I never, ever wanted them to feel like that the ministry was a priority over them. So when they call, the call comes through. That I want them to know that I love them and that I want the church to be a benefit to them and for them to want to be here and to know that Dad loves you guys, that you guys are the priority with me, even though the church is important, ministry is important, and it should be that way with all of us. And when they understand that and are secure in that, it goes a long way for them in doing well in life. So here we are to make sure that they know that we care for them, they're the priority in our lives, we don't want to make promises and not keep them. We don't always want to be blowing them off. We don't always want to be putting heavy expect, uh, you know, expectations on them, unrealistic expectations on them. So parents, none of us are perfect, right? And it, and it can be difficult, but we need God's help in raising and training and nurturing our children in the Lord. And unfortunately, the Bible records the very sad results of parents that neglected this command given to us here in verse 4. You can look in 1 Samuel, you can see Eli, who was the high priest, that he failed to discipline his sons, and they brought disgrace to the nation, to the ministry of the priest, and brought defeat to the nation. It was David, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. He was one that, that he was a great warrior. He was the greatest king that Israel ever had, but he neglected his kids. You see that in 2 Samuel. You see that, that in the Psalms he would write about the time, the pain, and the hurt that he went through when his son Absalom, Absalom was ignored by David. He was pampered by David. He wasn't disciplined, and Absalom became bitter towards his father, and he decided to take the throne away from him. He stole the hearts of the men of Israel and came into Jerusalem. And David had to leave Jerusalem and go out into the wilderness. And David writes many of those psalms concerning that situation and those circumstances there, you know, in the book of Psalms that we've been reading. And David is writing not only about the hurt that he's feeling as, and, and the, the difficulty he's going through as a whole nation turned against him, but he's writing from also perspective of a heart broken father concerning his son and what he has done and the hurt. So David, he neglected his children. You see that. And we know that Isaac and Rebekah, you see how they showed favoritism in their family, and that was something that Jacob did. So parents, we want unity and blessing and harmony in the home with their kids and we need to encourage them. And one of the wonderful things about when we have children is they're all different. And not only do we want to, as they grow, to mold them, but what is also important is to unfold them. And that is such a joy to be able to, to do that, to see how they're made and their personalities and their talents and what they like, and just to be able to encourage them in those things as they continue to grow. But more than anything, to have a heart for the Lord 
that have a heart for Jesus Christ. So again, I know that we can come in with different circumstances. You might be a single parent. You might be here, well, you know what? I didn't have the Lord, and my kids grew up and, uh, in a home that there wasn't the influence of the Lord. Uh, you pray for them. You might have opportunity to minister to your grandkids. Whatever situation and status that you find yourself in, we want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. We want to be a blessing to you. And the Lord desires for you to do the best that you can in ministering and whatever opportunities that you have and to pray for your children, your grandchildren, and, and to just be able to trust in Him and what He is going to do in their lives. So we want to bless you in that and encourage you in that as well. So now as we leave that section, now we're going to go into verse 5 and talk about harmony in the workplace and that's verses 5 through 9. We read in verse 5 that bondservants be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Now, keep in mind that 2,000 years ago when Paul is penning these words, as he's inspired by the Spirit of God, there were millions upon millions of slaves in the Roman Empire. Matter of fact, a large majority of the people in the empire were servants, were slaves, and they were the workforce, if you would. And so Paul is addressing those who numbered in the millions, that they were to be obedient to their masters, not rebel against them, not run away from them, but be obedient to them. And keep in mind that servants, slaves, were not treated well in many cases. They would work for or be owned by those who were very harsh and at times brutal, and it was difficult. And the apostle writes here that you are to be obedient. And so today, Paul would write to us and say that employees, you be obedient to your employers, to the boss. You may feel like a slave at work, but once again, we see the command is given that we are to obey our masters, our employer, our boss, in the flesh, with fear and trembling, what does that mean? It means with respect. Now, you might be sitting here and saying, with respect, I can't respect them because of their conduct or speech, their behavior, whatever. And I know that it can be hard to do that. But we are to respect their position. There is that position of authority that they have. I think it's worked out so beautifully in the life of, of David. Even though David had some shortfalls in becoming a father, but one of the things that we see in David's life that we can learn from that's so important is that when it was Samuel the prophet that came to Jesse's house, that's David's father in 1 Samuel 16, he'd anointed David as the new king of Israel. David was just a shepherd boy, and David didn't ascend to the throne at that time, but Saul, who was the king, David went and served Saul. And he was Saul's armor bearer, and he ministered music to Saul. And Saul would see, it was evident, that the hand of God was on David. And Saul became very jealous of David and, and, and very envious of him and hated him, so much so that Saul started throwing spears at David. And David was a good dodger. He dodged those spears, and then he had to run out into the wilderness. But in that, David didn't take advantage of Saul. I believe David could have killed Saul like that because David slew giants. And David had the mindset of, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. In other words, Lord, you put Saul in that position of king. I'm going to let you take him out. 
I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to manipulate it. I'm going to let you take care of it. And David went through years of great difficulty in the prime of his life, but God was using it to where David would become the greatest king that Israel ever had. And he would write many of those Psalms that we have in the scriptures that we can be comforted by, that we can be ministered by, as he would write those Psalms during that time. But David... He respected the position that Saul was in. We see it with Daniel. Daniel, he's only about 16 years old, a young teenager, when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians come into Jerusalem, into Judah, and they take the, the, the prime young men of Judah off into captivity, and Daniel was one of them. And there he's trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government. And Daniel was one that the Lord blessed him. Daniel didn't compromise. He said, I will not defile myself. But yet he was one that he respected the position that Nebuchadnezzar was in as the king of Babylon. And God blessed it. And we know that God protected Daniel. So we are to respect the position that they are in. And that's how it is that we can become obedient. Then again in verse 5, in sincerity of heart as we're told as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. I think that Christians, listen, should be the hardest workers that there are, the most trustworthy and faithful employees in the workplace. So employers would say, where do I get another one like you that will work as hard as you do? to have character like you do, that I can trust my stewardship to, and to know that at the end of the day that you've earned your pay. You've done what has been asked of you, and you do it day in and day out. And you do it, as we're told here in verse 5, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. It means that you have no ulterior motive or hypocrisy in your heart, and a key to having a sincere heart towards your boss is to make sure that you're keeping your eyes and your mind on the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as you would obey Christ, we work as though we are working for the Lord. So if you clean, you clean as though Jesus was going to visit the place that you are cleaning. It is possible for teachers to educate children, and I'm so thankful for Christian teachers that are in the schools for doctors to, to treat patients. Very thankful for Christian doctors. It is possible for lawyers to help clients and retailers to serve customers, for accountants to audit books, for construction workers to build, for those to work the land as though you're serving Jesus Christ. It is a tremendous witness for the Lord. And you have a sincere heart when you work as to Christ, not with eye service as the apostle writes. In other words, not just when the boss is watching you, but as soon as the boss leaves, you know, no heart, no enthusiasm. I'm going to loaf. I'm going to be lazy. One of the things that we see very clearly all throughout the scriptures is God says that work is good. And God does not like laziness. Matter of fact, when we get done with Psalms and we get into the book of Proverbs, what we're going to see is that there's distinction between the wise and the fool, the lazy and the one who is diligent, who works. And it is the one who is lazy that is linked to, in every case, to foolishness. It is never seen in a positive light, the one who is lazy. 
as Proverbs 26 says, the one who's lazy, you know, he, he, he buries his hand in the bowl and it wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. So God wants us to work. Even in the ministry, as I'm called to be an elder, a pastor, that it is a good work. It is good, but it is work. We saw in the previous chapter that the apostle has already written, let him labor working with his hands that you may have to give to others. And I like what Paul wrote early in his ministry when he was writing to the church at Thessalonica in that first epistle in chapter 4, verse 11. He writes, aspire to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your hands. I like that. I think it's good advice for all of us. And so we are to work as bondservants of Jesus Christ, doing the will of the Lord from the heart, and then verse 7, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Again, the idea here is to do your work as to the Lord. Now, again, the qualifier is this, as to the Lord. So if the boss is asking you to be immoral or dishonest or to commit sin, then we have a higher authority, don't we? And that is the word of God to obey God. But you are to do otherwise your job with enthusiasm, goodwill as to the Lord, the right attitude. Do it with respect. 2 Samuel chapter 23. Interesting couple of verses there that talks about David. And David, he's in the cave of Medulla. And it's hot and it's dry and it's dusty. He's hiding from Saul and, and the guys are with him. And David's kind of thinking out loud. He says, I would do anything to be able to have a drink of water from the well in Bethlehem. That well water that I would drink from when I was a kid, when he was a shepherd boy, and he'd go out, and there at the gate of the city, there was a well that he drank many times from as he would take the sheep out, and he would shepherd those sheep. And he's thinking kind of out loud as he's hiding in that hot, dusty cave. And he couldn't go and get a drink from the well of Bethlehem because the Philistines had surrounded Bethlehem. It was a stronghold for them. And three of David's guys... Their names were Eleazar and Chama and Adino. They heard David kind of thinking out loud, just saying, man, I would love to have a drink of water from Bethlehem. It's so hot here. And so all of a sudden, these three guys take off. And I just imagine that the hours go by, and pretty soon David notices that these three guys are gone. And he may be wondering, where's Eleazar? Where's Shama? Where's Adino? Where'd these guys go? And he gets word, we don't know. They took off uh, uh, several hours ago. And all of a sudden, as the day is getting late, I imagine the, the guard cries out, hey, there's three men approaching. And as they get closer, they realize that, hey, it's Eleazar. It's Shama. It's Adino. And David's probably thinking, what are these guys up to? What are they doing? Did they abandon me? Did they go AWOL? You know, what is it that they think that they're doing? And I wonder if David is thinking, I got a problem on my hands here. I, I got to scold these guys. But as the guys got closer to the mouth of the cave, I just pictured David, he sees these guys. And all of a sudden he notices that they're black and blue. They're bloodied. I imagine maybe their clothes were in tatters. What have you guys been doing? And then from behind the back of one of those guys, they pull out a skin of water from the well in Bethlehem. They said, for you, David. David was a very emotional guy. We know that from the Psalms. 
And I can picture David just overwhelmed and, and tears are coming down his cheek. You mean you guys risked your lives just to get me a drink of water from Bethlehem? When that city Bethlehem was surrounded by the Philistines, you were willing to take on the Philistines just to get me a drink of water? And David took that water and he said, Lord, this is too precious for me. And he gave it to the Lord. And I think, personally, that the most precious gift that David ever received was that water from the well of Bethlehem, from his three guys, his three men, his employees, if you would, who risked their lives just because they heard the king, the boss, say that I wish that I could have a drink of water. And those three men risked their lives for David, and they eventually became known as the three mighty men of David when he became the king. And you might be thinking, Pastor Jeff, why are you telling us this story? I just want to encourage you that who is the one that is a mighty man, a mighty woman, on the job, in the church, for the kingdom? It is the one who hears the heart, not just waiting for the commands. But here's the heart of the boss, the owner, of the employer. And it starts by hearing the heart of the Lord. And as you do that, and as you have the mindset, wherever God has placed you, that I am going to do my best because I'm going to do it as unto the Lord because that is the will of the Lord, you're going to see that the Lord's going to honor that. And that's what he begins to talk about in verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. As you work, as you're pleasing the Lord with a right heart, as you work, the Lord sees that and he honors that. And he's going to reward you. Even if your supervisor or boss and employer really doesn't appreciate what you do, doesn't maybe compensate you like the way that you feel that he should. God sees and God will reward you, certainly in eternity, because the promises are given there that whatever we do for the Lord, that we're going to be rewarded for. And I believe that God can bless you presently in this life. I really believe that there are those who are looking for individuals who will serve or work enthusiastically, that will serve faithfully, with good cheer, in respect to the position of their bosses, not just men-pleasers. And I know that in many cases, the doors will begin to open up. Either whoever you're working for or others see it. And I know guys that were in a difficult situation and they're working and all of a sudden somebody notices it and, and, and others are, are seeing it and they got opportunities to go work for somebody else. It says, I want somebody like them. Come work for me. I'll give you, you know, more benefits, more pay, whatever it might be. But the Lord will work, and he will work in your case, and he will honor you as you do what is right. For those who have the right attitude and show initiative, I believe God blesses it in eternity and certainly can do it in this life. And you work hard. One of the things that I've noticed in ministry that really is important to me is I look for those who have the calling of God in their lives, that God calls those who are workers. You see it all throughout the Scripture. Moses, what was he doing when he was called of God at the burning bush there? He was herding sheep on the backside of the desert. 
Gideon, who would free the children of Israel with his 300, you know, guys against 135,000 Midianites. Gideon, when he was called to do that, he was threshing wheat there in the hills of Samaria. Elijah, the great prophet, was behind the oxen plowing. Peter, he was one that was casting the nets. John, he was one that was mending nets. And Paul, he was making tents. And it was Joseph when in Egypt in Potiphar's house, and it says that Joseph served him, and he was made an overseer of the house. It was Daniel that I've already mentioned him in Babylon that served Nebuchadnezzar, and God blessed it. Even though Daniel did not compromise, he respected his position, was a light to him, and he even protected Nebuchadnezzar, I believe, as Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 5 went insane. Or actually in chapter 4 of Daniel. He went insane for seven years, and Daniel did not take advantage of him, but protected him. And listen, Daniel was working for a guy who was the most powerful man on the face of the earth who was not easy to work for. How would you like to work for somebody that if you made them mad, and Nebuchadnezzar was a hothead, and if you made him mad, he would throw you in a burning, fiery furnace. And yet Daniel was blessed. And even at the end of Daniel's life, when the Babylonians were overtaken by the Medes and the Persians, that the first king of the Medes and the Persians, Darius, saw Daniel, made him his right-hand man, and he saw that excellent spirit, it says in the book of Daniel, in Daniel's life. It was the Spirit of God, and it was a powerful witness to those men. And I pray that you that are in this place, that others, you know, supervisors, employers, you know, whoever it may be, other workers would see that excellent spirit in you, the spirit of God. They, there's something different about you, the reality of Jesus in your life being worked out. And I know that it, there are those who won't like it. Daniel experienced that under Darius. The other administrators would manipulate and lie and come against him and made it to where he was thrown into the burning fiery, or not the burning fiery furnace, but in the den of lions in chapter 6 of the book of Daniel. But yet God still protected him. You honor the Lord with how you work. And you please the Lord in that. And all throughout the scriptures, as I said, we see it very clearly that it is good to work. And you're to do it with the right attitude to God. You see, you don't go to work and you're just yucking it up with the others how stupid the boss is. And if I was the boss, you know, I'd do this. You don't have the attitude, I'm in this place and, and, you know, I'm better than everybody else. I should be soaring with the eagles and I'm stuck here with you turkeys, you know, that kind of attitude. <laughs> Sue and I were out in the western slope, you know, Grand Junction and, and Glenwood and for some ministry things that, that we needed to do and I had some meetings and and I talked to one young man that just graduated from the Bible college and this young man, he's roofing out there in Grand Junction. That's hard work. It's 90 degrees out there in the end of September. The only consolation is the days are getting shorter. So you don't have to work quite as long till 8, 30, 9 o'clock. And this young man, as I was talking with him, he feels the call of ministry in his life, but he was saying, my ministry right now is here. That God has told me that this is your ministry, this is your mission field right now with these guys every single day to be a light to them, to be a blessing to them. 
And he gets up at 4.30 in the morning so he can read his Bible and just be in prayer where he has to be at work between 5.30 and 6. And I thought, God's going to honor that. And that's what I love to hear, of just honoring the Lord with the attitude that this is my mission field. This is what I'm called to do, to minister to these guys right now where I'm at. This is where God has placed me. And it honors you, Lord. So we see that Paul gives us some very important instructions. And then quickly, just a couple more minutes, he addresses the masters or the bosses. And you masters do the same thing to them. In other words, there needs to be a right attitude. Giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven. And there's no partiality with him. You masters, you bosses, you supervisors, you employers. You also have an attitude of pleasing God and being that one who is over others and how you treat others. Know that your own master is in heaven. Don't be threatening. Don't be manipulating. Don't be lording over in, in a way that is hurting others. But you serve. You want what is best for them. I think that it should be a wonderful thing for people to have a Christian boss. I can't help but think, I think a wonderful boss in Scripture is given to us in the Old Testament in the book of Ruth. And there is Boaz, and he come out to the reapers of the field, and, and it shows Boaz would say to them, the Lord bless you, and they would reply, the Lord bless you, Boaz. And I just picture that they really like seeing Boaz. He'd come out to them and say, hey, guys, how are you? The Lord bless you, and we're going to have a great day, and, and looking forward to just being with you today and working with you. And, and they're going, the Lord bless you, Boaz. By the way, Boaz is a picture He's the kinsman redeemer in the book of Ruth, as you know, of our greater than Boaz, our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. And he is for you, and he loves you. And if you're a master, a boss, an employer, you're over people. And, and for me, see, I run a staff here at the church. We need to remember with God there's no partiality. He's not impressed that you and I are the boss. So you don't lord over, you serve, and you care, and you have compassion. And there are times where it's difficult, certainly. They have to deal with an employee or attitudes or make decisions that may not be popular. I understand all that. But you do it pleasing unto the Lord and honoring the Lord in whatever position that we might find ourselves in and being a wonderful testimony of God's goodness and grace and provision. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this, these words given to us, a few verses, but very powerful, very practical. And, Lord, my prayer is, is that you would help us, because we can't do any of these things, having harmony in the home with our spouse, with our children, with those in the workplace, unless we have you working in us and through us. And that means that you are the Lord of our lives, being completely surrendered to you. So I do want to pray if there's anyone listening on live stream or in the coffee shop or here in the sanctuary, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that it starts there by being born again by the Spirit of God, surrendered to him, to live a life pleasing to him, a life that is yielded to you, Lord, and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, through us. There's been a lot of talk this week about religion, a lot of excitement, 
But it isn't about religion. It's about relationship. The church can't save you. The church doesn't bring you into relationship with Jesus. It's your heart. We want to enhance that. We want to bless you and encourage you in your relationship. But it is a decision that you make and coming in faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords, the master of all masters, the King of kings, and recognizing that you need him to be forgiven of sin for eternal life, that he went to the cross and took the punishment for you because of his love for you. And if you've never done that, come into a true relationship with the living God that only comes through Jesus. You see, it doesn't come through no one else, anything else. It comes by faith alone in Jesus, recognizing that you're a sinner, that you need to surrender, you need to repent, turn to Jesus, and give your life to him. The invitation is given right now. It's always to come. And you pray, today is the day of salvation. That Jesus, I come to you right now. I come as I am, a sinner. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. And I believe that you took the punishment for me on that cross as my sins were placed upon you. And you made atonement for me. You proved it by being put into a grave and rising from that grave in your life. And I now confess in my mouth that God raised you from the grave, that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And sit upon the throne of my life. My life is not its own. I'm surrendered to you. And thank you for saving me. And if you prayed that prayer and you're here, I would encourage you come up and pray with Pastor John when the service is concluded. Tell him the decision you made. We want to bless you and minister to you. But for all of us, may we do live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you, Lord. In a way that there's an excellent spirit within us being evident in our attitudes and depending upon you. And Lord, I do pray for those who are perhaps in a work situation that's difficult and hard. That as they desire to do what is right, that you protect them and provide for them and bless them. And Lord, for all of us, that we go out of this place being encouraged, knowing that your word is true and that you're working in our lives each and every day. So thank you for this time we've had together. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Would you please stand? If you need prayer for anything, Pastor John's here to pray with you, and we want to bless you in that way. Wednesday night, come see us, 7 o'clock, Book of Psalms. We'll start in Psalm 74. It's going to be a blessing, and I know that um, if you can make it, that you'll be blessed by coming. Travis is going to close us in song, and we'll be dismissed. When you found me, I was so blind. I was swallowed by pride But out of the darkness You brought me to your light You showed me new mercies And opened up my eyes From that day you saved my soul 
Till the very moment when I come home I'll sing, I'll dance, my heart will overflow From that day you saved my soul Amen, God bless you guys Have the best Sunday, we hope to see you soon